LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and we have got a huge audience today, folks. Huge. I see you out there. Oh, four of you. Welcome to the show, everybody. Appreciate you joining me. You know, I sat there, and before I started doing this uh, the concept for today's stream, I sat there and thought to myself, how in the world do we solve inequality in this world? Everything that they put out there is always kind of a band-aid, right? It's it's always kind of like, well, if we give these people $5 more an hour, or if we give them access to even free college, or maybe we you know, provide them with food every month, something like that, that that'll fix inequality. <clears throat> and I just kept thinking to myself, no, it still doesn't touch inequality. And thank you, Janet. I like this sweater too. It's cold as hell in this house, man. I don't know what it is. This area where I stream at is right above my garage and my garage is freezing cold. So that cold air comes right up through the floor. Great in the summer, terrible in the winter. In any event, um, but I just kept thinking, how do you solve you know, inequality? And you know, I kept thinking to myself, you know, when you have things okay, like for example, somebody that didn't go through any divorces, somebody who, you know, didn't have any major calamities in life, didn't have any horrible, you know, moments that you know, scarred them forever, added debt to them, whatever. Someone like that marginally is 10 years ahead of the average person that's been through a divorce, maybe 20 years ahead of them, right? To ever get them to an equal status just in that would require far more than free college, right? It, it really would because you, know, you think about people that have saved up and they have money and so and that's just here and now. That's like regular people doing regular things, you know, not really having equal outcomes, but so forth. It, you know, it's still a huge amount of inequality right there. You know, it, it's impossible almost to keep people on equal footing. And so you oftentimes hear people say, well, we'll give equal access, but not equal outcomes, equal opportunity, but not equal outcomes. Okay. But then you think to yourself, if my mom and dad save $10,000 and they hand me $10,000 when I walk out of high school, I got 10,000 bucks in my pocket and I've got very little expenses. Has that changed my life significantly? And then you think to yourself, well, at what point if mommy and daddy left me a bunch of money, would I be at a point where I didn't have to worry about working again ever at all? If I could just simply, you know, live, live my best life without worrying about having a job. At what point does that generational wealth transfer have to take place? I don't know the answer to that either. But each step along the way, when we talk about trying to normalize outcomes so everybody has an equal opportunity, equal, you know, opportunity to pursue life and happiness and, you know, so forth, you, you can never get there because ultimately people are bringing 
whatever they inherited, whatever they were given had no, no fault or no um, good deed of their own. They were able to somehow or another luck into the lottery of birth. Mommy and daddy have access. They have connections. They have good house. They've got lots of money saved up. They get to spend lots of quality time with Johnny and Susie to do their homework, whatever. Um, again, how do you equal out those outcomes? How do you make that equal? And each step along the way, I realized that you have to do an awful lot. You would have to squash the top to keep them from growing. You'd have to claw back generational transfers and you would have to do an awful lot to ensure some form of quality because otherwise I want you to think about this. My mom and dad, neither of which ever went to college. Neither of my parents went to college. Both of my parents were very much blue collar people. They were working blue collar kind of craft jobs. They never, ever, ever had anything to really hand off to me at all. And so when I got my degrees, I had to rush out to get student loans. I had to do a bunch of things just to get in the game. Okay. Now, people that do the kind of work that I do, they didn't have to take on a hundred thousand in debt or whatever. We're we maybe we're making the same amount of money, but are we living the same life? And the answer is absolutely not. I'm paying back. I have a huge amount of debt from that. Right. So I, there's no equality there. And you say, well, you had equal opportunity. Well, no, we didn't have equal opportunity because I'm sitting here carrying debt. So I've got to do a bunch of different things. I got to make different decisions. My ability to hand off generational wealth to my children is impossible. I have no generational wealth to transfer. The only thing I have really to transfer is generational debt, right? So I just keep thinking to myself, well, that's just, that's just on the normal side. These are like, you know, normal people problems, so to speak. But what happens when you're dealing with extreme poverty? Or what happens if you were once a slave and you are promised 40 acres and a mule? And the people that you enriched are off to the races. They're a couple hundred years ahead of you in terms of transitioning generational wealth to the next child, to the next child, and so forth. And you have no generational wealth whatsoever, even though you worked your ass off to develop all the stuff that this person now has all the money. All the, it's not just money. Money is almost the least important thing. It's a matter of access. It's a matter of, all the things that you come already with, you know? And, and you think about families that have had money or power for a century or two. They lead a life that is, you could not catch up. There's no way to create equality there with the exception of like guillotines and jails, gulag, right, Johnny? Whatever it is, we don't have any means of creating equal access, equal outcomes, equal opportunity even in that space because think about it when you're going to school and you have to do your homework and you don't have a lot of knowledge and you don't have a lot of good family support maybe they both parents are working whereas you know in the rich kid their you know nanny is basically trained in uh, calculus and trained in uh you know other forms of maths and they have access to every possible um advantage there is just no way of equalizing that. And I see the rich, they're always fighting. They're like, nobody owes you a living. Nobody owes you anything. 
I think to myself, that's true. And, and I thought to myself also, it's like, imagine us starting a race and pretend like you were one of the slaves or the freely uh, freed men from, from slavery. And you're sitting there at, a, we're getting ready to run a relay race and we're at the line. And the, the weak scumbag over here that has money and owns the plantation, et cetera, they go ahead and they shoot the gun and they say, go. And that guy starts running, jogging around the track. And the slave is sitting there with a big, huge bungee cord tied around their waist. People holding them back and they're running, they're pumping their fists, they're kicking, they're running, they're trying. They're going nowhere. In fact, one might say in a more modern sense, they're taking on private debt to take on what mommy and daddy over here did for them naturally and can't actually do over here. So as this guy is doing laps around the track, this guy hasn't even gotten started yet. So in order to equal them out, we're looking at like 40 acres and a mule ain't getting this guy equal with this one. It's still not getting them equal. You would literally need to hold this guy back and allow this guy to do laps around the track to be able to get them even sort of equal. And you would have to give them more than equal access. You would have to give them real genuine opportunity. And then even under that, there's layer upon layer upon layer of self-selection where the wealthy support one another and they help each other and they don't see us even as people. They see us as servants. They see us as people that should just do our, do our bit and allow them to live their best life. And, and I just think to myself, how in the world do you ever create quality? How do you do it? So I, you know, I'm, I love sports. And so I started thinking to myself, well, hey, how come, you know, sports seems to have a different champion every year? How come sports seems to have different teams winning their divisions every year? And I think to myself, wait a minute, hold on. Even these billionaire sports owners understand that their sport would be stupid as hell. If they don't create a level playing field, if they don't create a salary cap, so the richest owner can't just run off and buy up all the great talent, and leave everybody else alone. It would be a very, very boring, very, very boring league, wouldn't it? You know, if, if, if there wasn't some form of equality baked in and you think back, they used to have all kinds of rules. It was like, you can't do, uh, uh, steroids and performance enhancing drugs. Cause we got to keep it even. I mean, you, you have a guy come in an eighth of a second too soon on a pass interference call. And the owner's like, Oh my God, what are you talking about? Justice. Where's the justice? He mugged him. He talked, he tackled him before he caught the ball. What do you mean? And so they're into justice. They're big time into justice. They're big time into addressing you know, inequities in the system. I mean, that's what you see in the sports world. And then you think to yourself, well, so these teams that basically have an owner that only has $4 billion are really getting their ass kicked by these owners that have $100 billion, right? How do they win that? 
They have better facilities. They have a better training facility. They have a better locker room. They have better amenities. They have better nutrition program. Their stadium is better. They're uh, whatever, but they all revenue share. They still, the rich owners share their revenue with the poor owners. They still do this. You know what I'm saying? I think to myself, it's like, how do you balance out? How do you create that? They already know that a league that is not baked into some leveling of the playing field will absolutely produce shitty results. Yet when it comes to life, they ignore this very concept. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I've been playing with this nonstop thinking about it. It's like, how do you fix that in society? And you think, okay, so who is going to voluntarily say, hey, take my stuff, stop me from growing, please raise, make sure that I'm taxed at 100% because I don't need to accumulate any additional wealth. No, I can't think of anybody. I can't think of a soul that would do that. And so I'm, I'm left with this idea that inequality cannot happen by asking nicely. Inequality can't happen, can't be fixed by asking nicely because people are going to say no. They're just going to say no. And each step through this process, I think to myself, you know, the, the team that does the worst in the NFL gets to draft first in the next year's draft. They already have it set up so that they can replenish and that the cycles continue. It, it's, it's kind of amazing to me that they see it so clearly when it comes to sports, but they can't see it so clearly when it comes to life. Experience of regular people on a daily basis could not be any more different depending upon where you come from. Now think about a family that sits there and teaches their children all about investment, all about the business world, all about the things that they have within their, within their network. By the way, Shane, thank you so much for the super chat. You hit the nail on the head, brother. The rich get to inherit generational wealth and network connections. People like us get to inherit uh, generational debt and trauma. And those who are even worse off, all we do plus generational poverty. It's insane. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for the uh, super chat too, by the way. But when you think about it, it's like there's a point where someone's money automatically makes them more money, period. I, and I can't, I don't know where that break point is, whether it's 1 million, 5 million, 20 million. I don't know what it is. 100 billion, whatever that number is, there's a point where people stop worrying about the day-to-day -day of making their electric bill, of worrying about their house being paid for, of worrying about uh, healthcare, et cetera. There's a point where the living doesn't matter. Now it's just a matter of accumulating numbers in a ledger somewhere. And I think to myself, how do you balance that out? How do you fix that? And to me, it's like, I, I, I always go back to, we would almost need a cataclysmic event to occur to make sure that everybody is wiped clear of any kind of 
past inheritance to make sure that no wealth is transferred, to make sure everybody starts at zero and to ensure that people only get like, like I remember back in the day when they had those call-in shows where it's like, if you call the radio station and you win two prizes this month, that's it. You can't get any more prizes. So they, you have to get somebody else. And sometimes when you see, uh, you know, television uh, programs do kind of a, a contest, they'll say no one from within the family uh, or workers at the company can qualify to be a part of this, whatever. I, I just think to myself, there is just literally no legitimate way of balancing things to make an equal society, no matter what, because it's not gaugeable in dollars. It's not gaugeable only in dollars. And, and I think to myself, well, okay, well, if that's the case, then what is it that we think we're solving for? You know, I think about this at a global scale. And I think about the fact that groups like the United States, you, know, you oftentimes hear these libertarian types talking about, well, if we're all equal, then how come Africa is so far behind? And I think to myself, well, dude, if you look at colonization and you look at the oppressors up north and you look at how we suckle all the freaking uh, intellectual property and all the real resources, you name it, out of Africa, and we keep them a colonial state and we don't invest in them. We don't allow them to expand their wings and become what they want to be. Well, it's no wonder there's huge national to national inequality as well through colonialism. And you look at how the system then is set up to ensure that that imbalance stays there forever. And that's through structural adjustments at the IMF as they branch out into the rest of the global south each step along the way there is gap psychology at play there is gap psychology all the way through this and it's like how do you measure yourself by the distance between you and someone else monetarily but you also can do it by lifestyle by by what you have access to, by what you have um, immediately at your disposal, by if everything shut down, how long you could survive versus someone else survive. And it just kept going and going and going. And I realized in the end, I don't know that there is a way to solve for inequality. I really don't. Because as long as these networks can be transferable, Hey, Johnny here, and I was a, I was a pledge. Johnny here, he should be able to get into the school now and have all the access to all the network too, right? So what happens to everybody else that doesn't have access to the network? They, they literally languish. Thought to myself, I'm scared to death to invest. I don't know what to invest in. I can read all day long, but I know that a lot of the stuff that's out there for you to read is propaganda. Just like the way the Bitcoin thing was. The people that had already secured Bitcoin from the early days were desperate for newcomers to come in, buy it up, to pump it up. And then after they've holdled, okay, then they dump, pump and dump, okay? There's always looking for some new person to come in and steal away 
right? Steal away. So even in that space, there's just no way of bringing about equality because I had no idea how to invest. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea where to go, okay? But if you have context, if you have connections, they prevent each other from falling into the hole. They keep each other above board. And this is why you see a lot of elitists uh, in academia that flock together and maintain social networks together and they keep others out. You see this in professional work. You see this in all forms of society. But the difference is what are you getting out of that elite secure network? You know? And in the end, if it can't be distributed to everyone, how in the world would you create an equal society? Just don't know how you do it, short of not allowing generational wealth to be passed on. What happens if all the wealth you acquire in this lifetime can't be given to your kids, can't be given to your grandkids, can't be handed off, has to be broken up and sold off like a monopoly being busted up? Like the bell system being broken up when you die, your stuff gets given to charity, your stuff gets given away to whoever. I don't know. I really don't know. But I do know this. If we don't find a way to solve that, it won't matter how many programs we give people. It won't matter if we give people, you know, dental care and we give people health care. In the end, the, the gap continues to grow and grow and grow. The inequality is so severe and no one will voluntarily give up their privilege. So that leaves you with a couple ideas, a couple thoughts. You know, number one, does revolution get you there? And if it would, how would you ensure that everyone remained equal? How would you ensure that the bad guys didn't end up getting on top because they have access to more real resources? even? after a revolution how do you secure equality for all i don't think you can i don't know how to get there but again they had a remarkable stat that i think it was since 2000 and i don't know like the last 20 some years the uh the nfc east which is a football division uh, which the commanders and the Eagles and the Cowboys and the Giants are in, had never had a repeat division champion in like 20 years. And the only way you can really understand that is the system that they've built really truly forces equality by, you know, you get to pick late in the round. If you had a good year, you don't get top of the thing. You get at the back of the order. If you had a really bad year, you get to pick at the top of the order. So you're always replenishing the best talent. The worst teams get a crack at the best talent and the best teams have to wait to see what's left. And so rich people do understand that life without guardrails, without regulations, without ensuring that people have access to things, it's gonna be a very, very boring, destructive, Thing. It's not going to be what they want it to be. The league would dry up instantly. There would be no league anymore whatsoever. So, I mean, I remember years ago when the New York Yankees were always at the top. They were always winning. They could buy the best talent. 
players desperate for their contract to expire so they could sign to finish off with a golden parachute from the New York Yankees. And to some degree, the haves still have it in baseball. But with the salary cap, ensuring that the rich can't just buy up a championship constantly, with the kind of penalties that they have baked into their uh, bylaws and the way they do things, I mean, there is at least some form of shared prosperity, which I think is interesting. Yes, I love that CLR James quote right there. I'm going to put that up there. I think CLR James said it best. The rich are only defeated when running for their lives. And that's kind of where I'm getting to there, right? We just, in the end, you know, they give enough people enough wealth, enough of a head start, if you will, to make sure that the remainder who are there simply to serve the elite, serve the rich, they give just enough to them to keep them from ever uniting to, to fix this, right? Frequently, I look back at, you know, Bacon's Rebellion, which is one of the very first examples of a kind of a revolution that took place as a workers' revolution, a 99% revolution that was not the elites. And it was people from different walks of life. And they came together to fight against the elites. Now, it didn't work out in the end. What they ended up doing was giving poor white slobs like an extra five cents. And that broke up the kind of solidarity they had and, you know, the slave revolts, et cetera. They just, they just broke it up. They were able to break it up by giving the poor white people a nickel more, just, a, just enough to separate them because it was gap psychology. How can I give them benefits and take away those from these other people? And so, you know, one might say, and I'm not prepared to say this, but one might say that capitalism cannot survive without a full forever oppressed lower class, an oppressed lower class. It really ends up coming down to Capital requires poverty. Capitalism requires poverty to ensure that there are always people there to do the bidding of the wealthy. And they want to keep you precarious. Why do they want to keep you precarious? Why is equality absolutely anathema to their plans, their goals? And in the end, if you can't be controlled, they can't control you. And if they can't control you, they can't use you. If they can't use you, they got no use for you, right? You're just eating food and taking up shelter and whatever. They need a lower class, a permanent underclass that will clean their toilets, that will take their trash out, that will make their beds for them, that will make sure coffee is ready at six o'clock in the morning and that they will have, you know, their food on the table and they'll be able to drive back and forth to the airport and so forth. We have to be kept in precarity for this system to work. Because if we're not in precarity, if we're not suffering, then we might actually not choose to serve the rich. Okay. I just, 
I think to myself, what is the advantage there? And the fact is they don't want to have to do their own work. So let's see. I see some Smedley Butler stuff out there. I want to make sure. Here, let's put this up here. Cat whatever. Question. How is it that Smedley Butler told us the savagery of corporations and politics in the 1900s? And we think we are just discovering this today. Is this a fair question? You know what? Let me tell you. Funny you should say that. I think it's worth talking about momentarily. The real story there, if you think about it, and I think this is really actually kind of funny. If you understand modern monetary theory, they knew in the 1900s, they knew in the 1940s, and they knew throughout that taxation, going back to colonial times, they knew that the government did not require taxes to fund itself, they would literally burn the tally sticks and the tobacco, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the different money, the, the colonial money, they would burn that stuff, man. It didn't, it wasn't used any more than a coupon is or a ticket is for a, for a concert. And the ticket, once you've used it, it's no good anymore unless you just want to save it in a memory book somewhere. So. But now all of a sudden, idiots running around telling everybody that taxes fund the federal government, that they reuse your tax dollars to, to fund the federal government. And I think to myself, if that's the case, where did the money come from to begin with? Well, the money came from the federal government. Government authorized it. Where'd the Fed come from? The government created it. And, and I just keep thinking to myself, the very things that you're talking about, when it comes down to, you know, Smedley Butler and the corporations and politics and stuff, people forget what's not immediately under their nose. And we are just smothered with propaganda telling us that these things are good and that corporations are our friends and that if we don't make sure corporations are good, that we will suddenly be without jobs. So we got to be thankful for the job creators, the corporations, et cetera. And so they have done a great job of screwing our brains up and forcing us basically to unlearn the things that were once learned and, you know, make us basically ignorant fools, right? An idiocracy of any merit. So I do want to touch on this real quick. Uh, Rich Four puts out, Jason Hickel has written a lot on this, his new article, Capitalism and Extreme Poverty, a global analysis of real wages, human height, and mortality since the long 16th century is essential reading. It is. And I believe I actually read it on this. Um, I believe I read it on here. Um, and he is one of my favorite people in the world. One of the best interviews I've ever done. Um, I don't know if you all paid attention to my macro and cheese podcast. Um, but if you haven't, um, I'm going to go ahead and bring something up here real quickly. So you all see, um, because I, I feel like, Sadly, as many things as I do with Jordan on status quo and as many things as I do on all these other networks, um, I really don't think, sadly, that um, a lot of people know or even listen to the work we do. And, and that's a little bit heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to tell you straight up, a little bit heartbreaking. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and share my screen momentarily. And hopefully... This right here will allow you 
to better understand all the people that I've interviewed so that you can look back. And the interviews that I do, so you're aware, are not the kind of interviews, by the way, that are, you know, hey, that was that was like a year ago. No, the interviews that we do are intended to be forever green, okay? We don't do current events, pop-up stuff. We try very, very hard to do things that really matter. I'm going to show you the rest of this, but I'm going to do a quick search. Find in page. I think that's it. Find. And we're going to say Hickle. I got this most recent one I did was with him in August. And it was please look up. I'll show you that real quickly. Jason Hickle is one of my heroes, by the way. And the subject matter for this particular show is show notes right here. You can see transcripts, extras, download. But near the start of the episode, Jason Hickel raises Noam Chomsky's position that the urgency of the climate crisis is so dire, it will have to be dealt with under capitalism. There isn't time to transition to socialism. Hickel disagrees. Capitalism is incapable of handling the problem. So this is one of the, the interviews I did with Jason Hickel. The other one that I did, let's go ahead and find that real quick. When less is more with Jason Hickel, and this is going back to September 2021. Strongly recommend checking this out. Steve's guest, Dr. Jason Hickel, is an economic anthropologist. Uh, before unpacking the implications of degrowth, we need to understand the language of growth has served to justify the exploitive ravages of capitalism, paraphrase Lenin, its highest stage imperialism. Please, folks, I've I've interviewed all of these people. I just don't think most folks bother checking out our podcast. It makes no sense to me. We got cool stuff going on, man. We just had John Kiriakou, had Brett Scott, we've had Bob Hockett, Bill Mitchell, Clint Bollinger, Tyrone Keynes, had Fodle, we had Tom Fozzie, we had Clara Mate. I have people constantly sending me Clara Mate's YouTube interviews. And I think to myself, guys, you ever listen to my interview with Clara? There's Devarian Baldwin. There's Ben Norton, Neil Wilson. And look at 18 more pages of these album covers. Look at that. We've talked about Pakistan with Akdaz Afsal. We've talked about Italy with uh, Ivan Invernizi. We've talked about uh, Medicare for All with Fadl Kaboob. We've had Randall Ray come on, which we just had an RP Live. We've had court, great, great writer. Cory Doctorow, we've had uh, labor union uh, organizers, key leaders. We've had all kinds of folks, authors, economists. There's Jason, there's David Keith. Look, we even looked at geoengineering folks. Talk about what if they lose faith in the dollar with imports, exports with Bill Mitchell. Um, I mean, so many. More Hockett, more Scott, Steve Keenan, Michael Hudson. I mean, I just don't understand why people don't listen to this. It's killing me. Look at this, folks. Iceland, Pakistan, you name it. The Fed, talk about the Fed's crash landing and in inflation. I mean, we went through all of China here. Went with the Cultural Revolution, the Civil War, and the Great Leap Forward, and the Sino-Japanese War with Carl Jha. 
three-part series on China, eCash Act. We've even talked to people that were capitalists talking about investing in green energy. Talked about England, finding Moser there too. Bullshit jobs, freaking folks. Do I have to beg you to check it out? We've gone to China. We've dealt with India. I mean, dealing with all the bullshit critique you guys hear constantly about MMT. We've addressed it. I mean, here, more China. There's Warren Mosler. There's Stephen Hale. Uh, uh, Australia. I mean, we're dealing with everything. There's Spain. I've been around the world. There's blockchain. Here's 9-11. We've even gone the anarchist route. And just because right here, Michael Albert looks like our producer, Andy Kennedy, there's no relationship. We've even had Parag Khanna come on. Look, Germany, talk about China. We've even had local, we were dealing with the school boards and, and dealing with COVID crisis. National parks, we're dealing with social security. Every freaking thing. We even had John Yarmouth, the head of the freaking Democratic's budget committee. Scotland. I mean, folks. Anyway. I'm done showing it. I, 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 Folks, please, by all means, there's just no reason people shouldn't be checking this stuff out. You can do it while you're freaking washing clothes, taking a crap, going for a bike ride. It's audio. So you don't have to stare at it and watch. You can just listen. It's all right there. Tons and tons of good stuff. Anyway, with that said, with that said, inequality is so absolutely crushing because without ensuring that everybody has access to the things we need and without ensuring that they have access to opportunity, there's no way to change society for the better. And it seems like right now, most people that would fight for it don't feel like they have any power. So they, they stay quiet. They just ignore it. They just figure it's too big. They can't do anything about it. And the people that are living their best life, they don't care. They're not looking at you. They're not wondering. You are simply just another unfortunate soul down there at the bottom waiting to serve their needs. So with that, I just want to thank you guys for being a part of our world, being a part of Real Progressives. It's very, very hard work, to be honest with you. Um, we don't really get a whole lot of love because we're not covering current events. Um, we're not running around doing YouTube flame wars with other alt media people. We're not out there doing the kind of stuff that would get us the kind of notoriety we'd like. Um, we're trying to cover important subjects. We're trying to bring experts to the table. We're trying to make sure that we can bring about the kind of change that we would like to see. It's very freaking hard. I'm not going to lie. It's very freaking hard shoestring budget and worse shoestring support very few people that actually stay in the game and fight and help make things happen and so for that tiny core of people that actually don't give up don't quit don't walk away don't leave you high and dry that very small core group of people it's just too it's a huge lift huge lift to try to make this thing happen and try to bring about any kind of understanding because you can't change anything if people don't agree this is a problem. 
And if they don't see solutions, there's nothing to change to other than being angry. And angry might get you in the door, but it doesn't solve the problem. And short of a violent revolution or a massive catastrophe, I don't know how you fix this. 100% tax rate, getting rid of corporations, redistributing all existing wealth, blah, blah, blah. All that sounds great. There's no energy for that. That ain't happening. We have never seen a global power elite more entrenched, more wealthy, more in control from the technology to the media to the consolidation in every major industry. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and there is no one coming to help us. There is no political party that is fighting for this. There is no politician meaningfully fighting for this, including Bernie, including AOC, including Rashida Tlaib, including Ilan Omar, including any of your squad members. Not one of them is meaningfully fighting for this. Okay? Not one. Not a single one of them. So without having any energy, without having a shared understanding that this is a problem, with idiots running around saying, no one owes you a living, no one owes you anything, the libertarian trash that says garbage like that is running freaking wild out there. They don't understand the federal government could, in fact, invest in its people. They don't understand the federal government could, in fact, eliminate all generational wealth, could wipe it out, could make it impossible, could make inheritance tax 100%, could do anything, but it won't. Why? Because our government was always set up to protect capital, was always set up to protect the elite, to always protect the elite at the expense of the poor. If you're interested in history on this stuff, please, besides checking out our podcast, by all means, check out Howard Zinn's History of the U.S., People's History of the U.S. It is must-read, must-must-read material, okay? And you need to really start getting a handle. Instead of romanticizing the Founding Fathers, instead of romanticizing the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, instead of romanticizing all these things, recognize that they were built and put in place by the rich. They were put in place by people who wanted to protect their private property from any ne'er-do-good. And then simultaneously, they turned everything around and made sure that we all suffered to continue their wealth expansion. And it's been going on now, well, since the founding of this nation and before that even. So with that, I want to thank you all for coming. I am going to say it's an early one today, 43 minutes in. I'm hoping that this concept of equality, you think about it, it's like being born on third base and thinking you hit a triple is a bullshit way to live. But it is also the way a huge amount of people in this world, not just this country, but this world that did get born into privilege, believe. And they all believe that you're a worthless, no good loser that just is wanting to take. They think you're trying to take from them. They think it's your hard-earned tax dollars that you're going to take from them to pay for your bad decisions. They don't recognize that they were born on third. They really do believe it was their hard work and ingenuity coming out their mother's birth canal 
that made them this great person that they are. I think it's really important to understand what you're facing right now, what we're facing right now. We're not dealing with people that have any understanding or care whatsoever about us. We're dealing with people who, in their mind, we're simply here to serve them and nothing more. So with that, I am Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar, and I am hoping that you all will subscribe, please, to the channel. Consider subscribing to the channel. Consider becoming a donor. Consider, like, look, watch this. I've got my phone. I go to the video. I hit like like and hey i hit subscribe too and i left a comment that kind of crap unfortunately is the rules of the the, tw the twitter and the youtube algorithms and they don't let you see the content they don't let you get there unless they see people liking and sharing and engaging so i'm hoping that while i'm showing you these fancy little subscribe and you know like and blah 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 that you'll really do that because we need you to do that. Not because I want you to be able to watch a video and not worry about that. I like and click and share and blah, blah, blah. The reality is, is even though it seems boring and, and gratuitous, the algorithms, the platforms, the way they do this stuff, smaller uh, platforms like ours with under 15,000 subscribers end up being choked and literally kept on ice. When I look at our subscriber count, we stay at like exactly 13,500 or something like that. 13,580 or something. And it might go up three in a month and it'll go down three in a month and go up three and down three. They're shadow banning the hell out of us. Okay. We need your support. Most of our, I mean, 13,000 people don't get our notifications. I assure you 13,000 don't even know we exist anymore. They maybe liked us five years ago, seven years ago, whatever. We don't get that gratuitous pass by. And with all the shows I'm on, all the other platforms that I go on, you would think you'd see a huge bump. People always, oh, I love this. This is great. Yet we don't see the uptick. So please become part of the solution there and help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing our content on social media, be it Twitter or Facebook. But by all means, Mastodon. By all means, don't just ignore sharing it, though. We really need you to. And if somebody sends you this kind of thing in a Facebook messenger, please do me a favor. Just for all, don't give the thumbs up and just say, hey, gotcha, man. That thumbs up is kind of like a meh. We need you. It's like activism. We're saying, please share this. If you're an activist and you think there's value, please share it. If you don't, I guess you're letting us know you don't see value. So anyway. There's another thought right there. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And with that, I am going to be, am I out of here? Let's see if I'm out of here. Am I out of here? I think I'm out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 